Well, hi, everybody. And uh, I've been around here a lot. If you're new here, you don't know who I am. But uh, my name is uh, Pastor Dan Stewart. I teach at Life Pacific College. I teach at the Zeus Pacific College. My wife Connie is here. Uh, we did a church plant restart in Altaloma, California, and we're turning it over to a younger leader in the next month. And so we've had our hands full, but really glad to be back uh, with you guys. And I want, I want you to know something. Uh, that video, that could have taken place without this church because you guys uh, contributed um, to Lily going, to being able to do what we uh, do there. Those 25 e-readers were all donated. They're older. If you happen to have a Nook or a Kindle and you got your iPad, so you don't need that Nook or Kindle anymore. Uh, if it's sitting in a garage someplace or a drawer, send it to me. And we'll download it with theological books and material uh, and uh, give it to pastors who can read English. Here's what's really nice about e-readers. They can be on 110 or 220. So all you have to do is buy the conversion plug, cost us a dollar, and we can give uh, basically a library to a pastor who has no access, never would have access uh, to uh, that kind of library. Uh, really, really grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, New Hope, for allowing us to do that. Uh, we've purchased the second property that we're going to build a church on and the third property. So we're going to build two more churches. Uh, they join with us. They raise their funds. We match their funds. So it's a joint effort. That building that you saw up there cost about $30,000 to complete. Uh, the property was $2,500. So basically for about $32,500, we purchased land and a building that will far outlive us. Uh, basically the nicest building in the community. And we, when we got there, they said, the gospel has been preached powerfully in our village. And I said, oh, well, tell me what you mean. They said, because the building has been built. And they said that that preached to the people more than anything that someone cared about their village. Somebody cared about Kagingo, that's by Nahuru, that's uh, also called Thompson Falls. Um, somebody around the world, a God who loved them that much um, to give them a place to worship. That little building that they rented um, was about 10 by 15 feet, and they were in there for 10 years. And uh, this was a a magnificent gift to them. Thank you for your part in that. Also wanted to show you that uh, things have changed in the world. We show the Jesus film. The Jesus film is really a corny movie that's been uh, translated into 170 languages. And you can download it for free. And uh, so what we did is that this is what I take now to Africa to show movies. Take your iPhone if you have one. And uh, on your iPhone, you're able to go ahead and I just want to show you what this does. This is an internal battery that lasts two hours. It has built-in speakers, but it's also, with your phone, Bluetooth. At Costco, you can buy um, something called a block rocker um, that's Bluetooth. And it's a 10-inch uh, video screen. It'll take a minute for it to come up. But if you can see, there's my phone, which I have my information there. This will do a six-foot by six-foot screen. And if I had a white screen, which we got over here, um, you can kind of see that uh, really for this big, folks, you can put it in a backpack and uh, adjust the uh, clarity on it, and you can show a movie with this. Unbelievable. Now, here's the next thing. For the battery-powered speaker that has 12 hours internal battery, that will also charge my phone, 
and this. 350 bucks for all of this except the phone. 350 bucks. I paid $1,200 20 years ago for the 16 millimeter Jesus film in Swahili. $1,200 just for the film. Now I can download any of the languages onto my phone for free. Wow. Isn't this stuff cool? I like this. this. Thank you, Connie. My wife Connie's here. There's Connie. I'm, I mean, if you would have told me 20 years ago I'm going to go to Africa for this next year, it would be 40 years. In fact, somebody called me the other day, and I knew they had the wrong person. But they called me and said, uh, we're having a reunion for your dorms that we are in college. A lot of the guys are getting together for our 40-year reunion. I said, shoot, I only graduated from high school 15 years ago. So <laughs> 40 years from college? Good grief, am I stinking old. So... Anyway, um, if you would have told me that I could take in my backpack a projector, the film, and put on the side of a building and watch 500 people come from the village to watch the Jesus film in their language, I never would have believed you. That had been science fiction as far as I was concerned. God is allowing us to have tools, but let me also tell you something. The world is not going to be saved through gadgets. The world is saved through people who preach the gospel of Christ and live it out. And the word, really evangelicals use the word go a lot. Let's go, let's do. But I'm leaning more towards this word called love. People don't care what you do. They care if you love. As John said, the whole world will know that we are his disciples if we have love one for another. And I think sometimes we get stuck. And it's easy to get stuck. And today I want to talk about being stuck in unforgiveness. And they're in your notes. You have your bulletin. Make sure you get it. And um, Ron, do they still charge $15 for parking at Dodger Stadium? Because I'm not, I'm not going if it's $15. I'm, I'm, you know how that bothers me to no end. Okay, all right. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was preaching, and I, I, I griped for about 10 minutes about having to pay $15 for parking at Dodger Stadium. And Ron came up, I think it was Ron, and somebody put $15 on the Bible after the message, so uh, thank you. Hmm? It was Ron. Luke chapter 17, verse 3 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, but if he repents, forgive him. Let's read it out loud together. Would you with me? If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Forgiveness, the question of unforgiveness, I found out something. There is no expiration date on unforgiveness. If you have unforgiveness towards someone and you haven't dealt with it, you're stuck in it. And I promise you, I'm going to go to a 40-year, 40-year reunion of people who lived in the dorms together. You know what? There's people I didn't like then. I would venture to say I won't like them now. Isn't that true? You meet somebody from high school or college that you didn't like, you still don't like them. And there's something because forgiveness has no expiration date. Whoever made up this phrase, time heals all wounds, doesn't know what they're talking about. Jesus is the only one who can heal wounds. 
Because I've known people who have dealt with unforgiveness for years. I being one of them. There was a, there was a, a gentleman, a leader in our denomination, who I thought wronged me, and I didn't speak to him for three years. No conversation. When they walked into a room, I walked out of the room. They had no idea what I was carrying, but I did. You know what I found out about God? He'll let you deal with some things on your own for just a while. And then he'll say, are you done? And then he'll take you out to the whipping shed. And then he'll give you a spiritual spanking. And if you're smart, you'll do what he tells you to do. And I called that individual and I asked for their forgiveness because of what I bore against them. And, you know, I'm, I've met them now several years and there's nothing there. I mean, we are a good... I like it when you can see someone and there's nothing there. And you also know that when you said you've forgiven somebody, but when you're with them, there's something there. Then that's not full forgiveness. And forgiveness is not easy. I don't stand up here saying it is. Robert McQuilkin, Dr. Robert McQuilkin said, unforgiveness is a cancer that eats away at the spirit of the one who fails to forgive. So there is great therapeutic value in forgiveness as a way of life, no matter how the offenders in one's life has behaved. Yep. Forgiveness. You know that um, the prodigal son in the scripture in, in the Gospel of Luke Prodigal means lavish and foolish. The prodigal was the son, but also the prodigal was the father. The father who gave his son a robe and a ring and a kiss, welcoming him back home and forgiving him for such an atrocity against his father. You know, a judge can stand forth and say, you're innocent. A doctor can say, we got it all. Somebody on a game show could tell you, you won. There is no greater word. There is no greater power. There is nothing more pleasing to the soul than somebody telling you this. I forgive you. There's nothing more powerful than those words. I forgive you. You are forgiven. In the 16th century in England... The people who carried out the death sentence would always ask the person, the executioner would ask the person before they proceeded with the process of killing them, do you forgive me? Ron Cotton, probably never heard of him. It's been several years ago now, was on Channel 7 News. They said, watch forgiveness played out on Channel 7. What? I got to watch that. So I turned it on, and Ron Cotton was an Afro-American young man. He was, I believe, 16 years old when he was arrested for the rape of a white woman. He was convicted for that rape on her testimony. She said, he's the man who broke into my house and raped me. Fifteen years later, after so many different things going through, he was given a new trial. Fifteen years he'd been in jail. That makes him now 31 years old. After the trial, he's convicted a second time by the woman's testimony. It was him. About two years later, DNA testing came out. They had the rape kit. They had everything there. They did the testing, proved without any question, as he had said all along, it wasn't him. Now, let's think about that. 
You've been in jail 17, 18 years for something you did not do. What would you say to the person who convicted you twice? And on national television, they met at a church because Ron Cotton accepted Christ while in jail. And so did the young lady who convicted him. They met in a church together, and she said these words to him, Can you ever forgive me? And Ron Cotton said, You're forgiven. Wow. Wow. I sat there and I go, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I'd have said that. Powerful words. And she said this, Though Ron had been in jail, she said, so was I. I was in a prison of unforgiveness. And she said, when Christ came into my life, and here they are on national television, saying what a difference it made. Will you forgive me? In the relationships, we desire security, acceptance, familiarity. In our relationships, we have such unforgiveness with each other. I'm telling you, in the body of Christ, we should be... With affirmation, we should build up. In availability, we should put up. In patience, we should hold up. In worship, we should look up. In forgiveness, we should make up. And in gossip, we should shut up. And we might be better people for it. I want to talk to you today from one of the most powerful scriptures that deals with unforgiveness in scripture. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, if you will, with me. Chapter 7, third gospel, New Testament. Jesus meets a woman that in this passage is unnamed and comes to him when she finds out that he is where she is. And the only reason she goes before him is to love him. And this is what it says starting at verse 36. Luke chapter 7. Verse 36. Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. It says, Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So we know it's dark. It's a late hour. And so they went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, Leonardo da Vinci paints in the 1500s uh, the great depiction of the Lord's Supper with the table and chairs. Well, that day they didn't have tables and chairs. They reclined. And I think that I told Connie, let's be like the Bible. This is how they would eat, like this. And you would eat with your right hand. Your left hand was for ignoble purposes. So you didn't eat with your left hand. You, all you left-handed people, you are ignoble people. So... <laughs> Sorry for that. But they would sit and recline like this and eat. And that's why they reclined. So that if you were like this and you were talking with someone, you would not see behind you. You wouldn't see who was at your feet. You wouldn't even notice because you're reclining. You're not in a chair. You're laying, basically, you're reclining on your elbow and you eat and the table was very small and they'd have the food there and they'd pass it around. So Connie, when we get home, we're going to be like Jesus. So... Let me, see, let me show you what happens here. It says, when a woman who had lived a sinful life, so she acknowledges she's sinful. That town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of 
the tomb. The alabaster jar would have been a box, if you will, and in it is clay, like pottery. That clay pottery would have been sealed so that the nard, the incense, those things would have been kept as long as it was needed. Many women carried would have carried that as a dowry because it was worth a year's wage. It was frankincense and myrrh and nard. And they anointed people for burial with that. Probably family members. It was extremely valuable. Uh, it also kept the body from um, stinking so much. So that's why these things were carried. And remember that in those days there were no safes. There's no bank. So you carried with you that which was of value. It just stayed with you. Well, this woman comes in, finds Jesus, brings her alabaster box of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet. So if Jesus is reclining, maybe talking with somebody, this woman could come stand at his feet and he wouldn't even know she was there. Wouldn't know how long she stood there. We don't even know how she got into the house, but we know she did. Again, if there were oil lamps and it was dark and you couldn't really see, this woman could have been there for a long time just waiting for an opportunity to come stand at the feet of Jesus. And it says, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. That's a lot of crying, folks, to wet the ground with your tears. Man. He says, then, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, Oh, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him. I love that. He's thinking to himself, and Jesus answers him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, that's an interesting statement. Jesus is reclining. Simon is somewhere by him. He doesn't look at Simon, but he turns around and looks at the woman while having the conversation with Simon. And he asks a simple question. Do you see her? How many people do you pass in a day that you don't see? You ever driven by people on street corners? I need food. And you just ignore that they even are there. 
They don't exist. When Jesus asks the question, do you really see who this woman is? Do you actually see her? I'm wondering if he doesn't ask that of us today. Take the time to see people. Take the time. Simon, do you see this woman? And then he begins to recite what happens. I came into your home and you did not give me any water for my feet. And that would have been a ridicule. You, you just did not do that. When somebody came in as a guest, you always wash their feet, wash their hands, give them water. They didn't do that. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. A kiss would have been a kiss of greeting, a salutation. This woman, from the time I have entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. It was anointing. She poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. she has been loved she loved much but he who has been forgiven little loves little then Jesus said to her your sins your sins are forgiven do you, do you hope that when you see Jesus on your day of reckoning that he says that to you your sins are forgiven Hallelujah. Certainly that's all that we would long for. Well, here we go. Number one, to stand at his feet in confession. We don't know how long she stood there. We know that she made her way into the house. We know that she made her way to wherever Jesus was, and she just simply stood there. She didn't say anything. She just stood there. And standing has something to do with confession and, and being right before so when David rose up and stood over Goliath and Solomon stood up before the temple of the Lord and Jesus in Luke chapter 4 stood in the midst and read the scripture 2 Timothy 4.16 Paul said at my, my defense no one came no one, everyone left me, deserted me but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength this woman came and I do not doubt standing at the feet of Jesus, I can see in my mind confessing her sin, confessing all the things that she knows she did. Notice she didn't say, no, I'm not that sinful woman. She didn't say that. She just come and stood at his feet. And I think these are what's being declared. I am nothing next to him. I am nothing compared to him. When I was growing up, my dad would always tell me, don't you make me get up. <laughs> but Jesus said, if I be lifted up, all would be drawn unto me. We stand today with an opportunity to confess who we are before Christ. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you during this service to join this woman standing at the feet of Jesus and confess that you need him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
It says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ died and rose again, you will be saved. And I will tell you, it's so easy to get stuck in unforgiveness, to live with brokenness against individuals and people. And this church has a history of things that need to be forgiven because we'll never move forward without forgiveness. And all of you who have been around since I have, since early 90s, basically, that this church has exercised a realm of forgiveness and needs to continue to do so in order not to get stuck in the past. I believe that. That we might move on to the right fit in the future. You know how long I tried to get this building to be moved? (laughs) It's time. It's time. Thank God. And do it. Don't talk about it. Do it. Amen. (laughs) Number two, to weep at his feet in forgiveness. There's something that accompanies forgiveness, and it's called tears. Tears are those little balls of humanity that well up and fall out of our eyes that show what's in our souls. Absolutely true. This woman came and she stood at Jesus' feet and standing there, standing in confession, the next thing is that she weeps. She weeps in forgiveness. When you know someone's with you and they have forgiven you, it's powerful, powerful. Nothing like it in this earth. This woman lived in sin and began to weep. And she stood in that confession, contrite and broken. She did not deny, she just wept. And you all know that if there's a point and you've done something and you've been found out and you know that that person knows that you did what you did, there's nothing but brokenness left. Wow. I was in Israel... I've never forgotten it. It's one of those stories that stays with you all of your life that I'm at the Western Wall. And at the Western Wall, gentlemen, for those of you who have been any kind of Jewish history, you know that you have to wear a yarmulke or have your head covered in any holy site. Ladies, you don't have your head covered because your hair is your glory. And so therefore, your head is covered by your glory and you're also covered by the Lord or covered by your husband or spouse. But men, you have to cover your head. So, Uh, I went in, I was with another pastor, we were in the Western Wall, and I watched a young man come in, probably 14, 15 years old, you have to be 13 to be bar mitzvah so that you could come in and read the law on your own. This young man comes in and he took his phylacteries, which are made out of leather, and you bind them and they have little scriptures, boxes for scripture on them, and they also put them on their forehead. He got his phylactery, he wound his arms, wound his arms, put his prayer shawl on his shoulders, and began to take the scripture and rock as he read them. As you've seen, if you've watched anything with Jews, reading the Torah. I was with my friend and I told him, I said, watch this. He's going to get in big trouble. Because there's a guy, and I called him Mr. Stick, because Mr. Stick kept the peace. And he also was in there to keep the religious peace. And because this young man did not have his head covered, he was going to get a talking to And of course, that's exactly what happened. Mr. Stick came up and went to him and said, Hey, 
your head's uncovered. Get it, get it together. Now, you and me, what would we have done? If you were getting out of your car this morning and you went in here and you go, oh, I forgot my Bible. Would you not just simply go back to the car and get your Bible? All right. How many of you would weep because you left your Bible in the car? Here's what happened. It's the only place that I've seen in my life the ground wet because of tears. The young boy was told his head was uncovered, and I was watching this unfold, and I thought, oh, yeah, he'll get in trouble, and he'll go, he'll go get one of the paper yarmulkes and put it on his head, and that he'll be fine. He didn't. What he did do is start to cry. He was about the age of one of these in the front row, probably. And he stood there for 15 minutes and didn't move. 15 minutes, because I watched. And I had my watch, and I clocked him. And the ground in front of him was wet. He wept uncontrollably. <gasps> then he did this. In the Bible, it says when you're humiliated that they tore their robes, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they covered their heads. This is how they did that. Like this. I'm ashamed. The Western Wall was this way. The Jewish quarter is this way. Here's what this kid does. Sobbing. Oh. Oh. He takes little one-inch steps backwards. Fifteen minutes to bow out and get out of the area of the Western Wall. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything compared to it. And I sat there and I wept watching him weep. And I said to myself, oh God, is there anything I care about that much? And he's weeping for a half an hour because he had his head uncovered. Wow. Never seen anything like it. But I will tell you, this woman sat there and wet Jesus' feet with her tears. Blessed are they who mourn. Tears remove things. Remember when Peter denied Jesus, he wept openly and bitterly. Psalm 6, 6 talks of tears of agony. Psalm 126, 5, tears of reward. Psalm 5 through 7, or Revelation 5 through 7, all tears will be wiped away. You know, when, when it was on TV not too long ago, got Johnny Cox over here, so he'll know this really well. Extreme Makeover. My wife used to love watching that because they cried a lot. Those people crying over everything. What were they crying about? Because something that was dilapidated and old was changed and made new. How many of us have had Jesus Christ come and renew us from sinners to saints? Would that not be worthy of some tears? Oh, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. There's times that we must still come before Jesus and the only thing we have to do is to weep because he knows everything about us. And this woman, confessed sinner, weeps at the feet of Jesus enough to wet them with his tears. And then she does this. 
She washes her feet, his feet in humility. Now, I want all of you to put on your imaginary hats because you're going to have to imagine something. Imagine I have hair. Okay. Now, how low would she have to get to get that hair on Jesus' feet? Was she, was she like this? I, I don't know. I know that my hair would be hard to do. But there's something about having your feet washed. I don't know about you. But uh, that's not an easy deal. I'd much rather wash somebody's feet than have mine washed. But I do know that washing feet is what Jesus did with his disciples. He stripped himself and put on a cloth and he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, as I've done this, you do to others. The washing of feet is intimate and something that is extremely personal. Jim Eidelman was a backhoe driver. His wife went to the church. I knew him very well. In fact, his son, Shane Eidelman, has spoken here in the past. Shane has worked with politics and um, is a a, a great young man, a great Christian young man. Well, years ago, his dad came to our church once in a while, very infrequently. But his wife tricked him into going to a Wednesday night because I had something for men after the service. And she said, it's going to be real short. You won't have to sit through the whole service. Well, Jim came after work. He had on his, uh, his Levi's and a, just an old tattered shirt. And his, I call them Elmer Fudd boots. Those are those yellow work boots. And um, he came in and, and the Lord that day said, I want you to wash the men's feet. And I, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> you ever had those conversations? You want to do that? No, don't think so. No different. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I found a bucket, found some cloths and cloths. And, and when the guys came in, I, I put a chair against the door because I knew they were going to hit it hard and hit it fast. So, because you don't announce, I'm going to wash all your feet. What? Well, I started washing their feet and I started weeping over these men. I got to Jim Eidelman and took off his boots and there was dirt. Took off his shoes and socks. And he wept and I wept. Jim Eidelman accepted the Lord there. And it was next Wednesday that Jim Eidelman died on his back hog, had a heart attack, went home to be with the Lord. That Saturday, I did his funeral. You know, I, the message, I've never forgotten the message either. Here was my title of my message at Jim Eidelman's funeral. I washed Jim Eidelman's feet. People couldn't believe it. You washed Jim Eidelman's feet? Yes. Yes, I did. And Jim Eidelman received forgiveness in his life. Even to this day, his wife is eternally grateful that someone washed her husband's feet. This woman who came to Jesus, the power of humility. When I was in Africa the first time, these little children would run up to me and and they would always bow like this and they would go, shikamo, shikamo. And then adult would say, well, marahaba, marahaba. And I go, what does that mean? They said, the translation is, I clasp your feet. 
and Madahabayas, stand up. They come in humility. I clasp your feet and you were to tell them to stand. This woman came before Jesus and there's nothing more humbling than to wash someone's feet. She doesn't do it with water. She does it with her tears. She doesn't come with some expectancy. She comes only to give to him. She says nothing that we know, I would say probably confessing who she is. And she weeps at his feet and then she washes his feet with her hair. Fourthly, that's what it means to wipe his feet in devotion. You know, ladies, there are billions of dollars spent on hair color. There are billions of dollars spent on coffers and stuff that they do in women's places. I spend a lot of money on my haircuts. My barber's right here in the front row. Sometimes I'll be sitting in the house and she's cutting my hair and she goes, how is your family? How are things going? And I'll tell her, I said, you're kind of cute. So anyway, that's what we do. But, <laughs> but think how much money is spent because your hair, ladies, even in Scripture, is your glory. A woman's hair was covered. They kept it covered for their husbands. When they were married and in their homes, they would take their coverings off and their husband saw their hair, which was part of the, if you will, the intimacy of life. Even today, go to the Middle East. What do women do in Middle East? They cover their hair so it's not to be seen in public. This woman undoes whatever covers her hair and lets her hair fall down. And what that means is that whatever personal process you think about, oh, is there nothing worse than a bad haircut? Oh, come on. And gentlemen, if your wife comes home and says, do you like my haircut? There's only one answer. Right? Yes. And because of all of what this woman does, all of the things that are intimate to her, she lays it all out at Jesus' feet. We take pride in our individuality that we can look like something or someone. When you wash somebody's feet with your hair, all of that goes away. And we're all subject to being before Christ, devoted to the care of the Master, regardless of how we appear. She takes her hair, which is her glory, and she wipes his feet to honor him. Wow. Nothing compares to that. But if you've been forgiven much, you love much. If you've been forgiven little, you love little. And then she does something so unbelievable. Fifthly, she kisses his feet. She kisses his feet in affection. Today, you see kisses all over the television all over. It's kind of digressed a little bit. In that day, a kiss was embracing, identifying. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. 
nothing sexual about it, just identifying, unifying. But also we know that Judas takes that which was the identifier to the body of Christ as a betrayal. He kisses Jesus so that they would know this is the one. This woman takes and begins to kiss his feet. That is a kiss of identification. The Savior will be identified by a woman, a sinful woman, as the Son of God, the one who can forgive sins. When he had gone into the Pharisee's house, did the Pharisee kiss him? No. Did he wash his hair? No. Did he wash his feet? No. But this woman did. And this woman greets the Lordship of Christ and seals it with a kiss. When the man had refused the obvious, she did not. And she identified Christ as her Savior by kissing his feet. She stands at his feet in confession. She weeps at his feet in forgiveness. She identifies him with a kiss. She washes his feet with her hair. And the last point, sixthly, is anointing his feet in adoration. You've got to really like somebody to spend a year's wage on them. And she pours out the alabaster box because it cannot be sparingly used. It is broken and it's all broken. And you've all, you know, if you bought one of those little foo-foo things you can put in your car to make it smell, some of those are liquid. If you ever break one of those, it'll choke you out of the car. It's like, like oh my, oh. There's nothing like pine smell that's, you know, bad. Well, when she breaks that alabaster box, trust me, everybody in the room knew it. It's so pointed in its smell. If you've ever smelled frankincense and myrrh, the same thing that they brought to Jesus, very valuable, extremely, extremely potent. They use it for burial. This woman is identifying Christ as the Savior who will be crucified. And the disciples in other places complain, hey, that's a year's wage. We could have fed the hungry with that. Jesus said, no, because I won't always be here. And she's identifying who I am. She breaks it and anoints him. Giving is tied to forgiving. The same word. To forgive means to give something that shouldn't be given. If you've been forgiven, you give. You give forgiveness. You give financially. You give in every way because that's what God says to do. I'm amazed at how God speaks to us and our resources and our future and our reputation. If you've forgiven, then you will give. As the psalmist said, there's no foothold. You've got to come to the place to find that security. Wow. Forgiveness. Powerful. Powerful stuff. For all of us here today, Jesus wants to bring forgiveness to you and to each other. Isn't it easy to get stuck in unforgiveness and just stay there? But if the Lord's speaking to you about something, you need to rectify that. Sometimes it's just a note. Other times it's a phone call. 
Sometimes it's face to face with tears. Will you forgive me? If we would live in forgiveness, Jesus would be lifted up. Because people would say, that's what identifies the church. I had a youth pastor who put together this video for me. If you're good, I'm only going to show it to you once. Connie and I deeply love you all. And it is our greatest privilege to be here today to talk about forgiveness and the need for forgiveness in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we ask today that you forgive us some of our sin is so deep and some of it's so shallow that we hold to it and get stuck in it and we can't move on to what you'd really want us to become to be because we can't get unstuck time won't do it All the things that we think might help won't. But Jesus, you promised if we have loved much and been loved much, then we have been forgiven much as well. Let the identifier of new hope be forgiveness and love. May it be the church that embraces and forgives. For our future is in your hands. A lot of tears, Lord. A lot of weeping. But you also promised that joy would come in the morning. If there is anyone who has been listening to this today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, all you have to do is ask him to forgive you and he'll do it. Right where you're seated right now. If you're also here today and you know the Lord yet there's things that just you get stuck in. Ask the Lord to show you how to walk out of those things in true forgiveness. What a freedom it is. What a joy to know that if God has forgiven you, you can forgive others. There's great freedom in that. You promised, Lord, you would give us freedom because of the great price that was paid. We love you, Lord, and we love your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's stand together. If you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, there are leaders that will be up in front. There are people, myself, Connie, if you would like someone just to pray with you, we'd be glad to do it. And... I love John and Kim Amstutz. I know that you do as well. Great pastors, good people. They'll be back soon. It was a privilege for them to ask us to be here. Thank you so much. Go in God's presence, would you?